Dispatch. Packets of fire all around. Dear Chief, much has happened since we last spoke. Welcome to Dear Chief Podcast, where your hosts and their guests share the 411 of being married to the people who respond to 911s. Take a peek into fire family life and get unabashed advice on how to prevent forest fires in your marriage. Now, here's your hosts, two seasoned firewives, Audra and Chelsea. Hello, welcome back. After a brief hiatus last week, we're back and stoked for today's episode. Joining us is the incredible Scott Woods, a true veteran of the L.A. County firefighting scene and a dedicated peer counselor. Today, we'll be getting into the nitty-gritty of what it's like being a career firefighter in California, juggling family life, and to top it all off, Scott's appearance on NBC's fan-favorite show, L.A. Fire Rescue. Get ready for an awesome chat packed with stories and insights. Hi, Scott. Hello. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, this is my first podcast, so I'm looking forward to it. Oh, yeah. We love newbies. That's very exciting. All right. Scott Woods, dedicated 29 years of service as a firefighter in L.A. County, married for 25 years, proud father of two college-aged daughters. His career progressed through various roles, including firefighter, firefighter paramedic, engineer, and captain. And for the final 15 years of his career, he served as a peer counselor while leading Firehouse 41 in South Los Angeles, covering areas like Willowbrook, Watts, and Compton. Scott continues to serve as a peer counselor for the fire department as he enjoys retirement, embracing new adventures, and spending quality time with his loved ones. You did a lot. Yeah, it was a it was a fulfilling career. I was very lucky to have a career that I envisioned, and then I got to live it out. I was a huge emergency fan when I was little growing up, and for me to get to live that out with L.A. County was a huge dream success for me and to to get all the way through to the end and then you know start a new life i'm looking forward to it i bet you deserve it you deserve to have some yes. fun now not that you weren't having fun before because let's just face it you guys have a lot of fun yeah there's there's things i miss i miss being with with the guys and the gals you know i miss cooking for everybody i always enjoyed cooking i don't get to cook for six people anymore like that so but, you know, it's it's all those little things that when you look back on and you go, wow, what a great career or opportunity that I had to work with such great men and women. So you kind of touched on it a little bit. So you got into firefighting really early on. You were inspired by the show Emergency. Is that kind of oh, yeah. how it went? Okay. Yeah, that's that's how it went. I was that kid that was always out there getting dirty, climbing trees, you know, riding things I shouldn't have been riding. My dad probably always thought, man, this kid breaks everything he gets. What am I going to do with him? But I found a, I found a path and, and I took off with it. It's funny because when I was young in high school, I started taking EMT courses. I had a good mentor. One of the guys I played soccer with, his dad was a LA County fireman. So when I was a junior in high school, he kind of grabbed me and said, Hey, you know, if you want to be a fireman, you know, here's some things you need to start doing. And so I had a good mentor early on. And so that allowed me to get hired at an early age and then enjoy it. But uh, those things are, are a big deal, you know, at that age to have somebody say, hey, if you want to do this, it's a great career. And uh, here's some things you should do. So by the time I was a senior in high school, I'd already taken EMT courses. So all my friends in high school knew, hey, he's going to be a fireman. So when they see me on the show, you know, 30 years later, I don't think they were surprised. 
so cool. That's really cool though. Like to have your dreams come become reality for me, like having a mentor really early on is really important, no matter what career you're going into. Yeah. So you, were, you were one of the lucky ones. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I always try, you know, in, in the station, uh, especially where I work and we we're always mentoring kids. We had rescue youth programs that have kids that we helped and those, those programs, that's the other side of being a firefighter that a lot of people don't see. And and they caught that in the show with Paco. All of our stations down there, we all have kids that have gone through. And I was down there so long that I, I saw kids that went through when they were young and then they'd, they'd be working at the hospital, you know, being a, and, and going on and getting hired with uh, Cal Fire or getting hired in the camp crews. And then now as I'm going out, a lot of those kids are getting hired as full-time firefighters with us. And so it, it's good to see that the kids that you mentor have gone through their process of getting hired and, and the way they were going to do it. And now they're actually doing it. Yeah. I, that's so cool. Were you married before you became a firefighter? So no, I, I met my wife when I was still on probation. So the first year I got hired, I met my wife. So she's, she's only known me as being a firefighter of my schedule because that can be a big issue sometimes. And, and I've had to talk to guys that have had wives where they've been married for a year or two and then they get hired. And all of a sudden, their wife didn't realize that a fireman is gone for 24 hours at a time. And they have a hard time with that. So I was like, well, I met my wife after I was hired. So she knew, she only knew me in that schedule. So, and I think that is a big deal. And, and if not, that is a big transition for a wife to handle. I have had firefighters. I had a firefighter, a boot firefighter that I had to have a conversation with that, you know, like you got to figure something out here. Um, you can't be on the phone with your wife all day long. And it, and I know it can be tough for the wives that are used to always having their husbands there, but you're either going to have to break this or you might have to find something else or do something else because it's, it's a problem. And um, I was an engineer at that time when I had that conversation with him. And then within a month, they went to the captains and it was, an, it was an issue. So he was, he was talking to her too much at work. Too much. That- yeah. Like constantly. She, she, every time she had an issue, she, she would have to call him. Oh. And I told him, I said, look, you know, you, you, you can't do that. And then my wife had always done pretty good with it because that's all she knew me as. You know, we didn't have no kids. When we moved in together, she, we had a dog. So it was it was simple, but she was just really having a hard time. So one of the things I, I told him, I said, hey, we'll go out to dinner and I'll let my wife talk to her, you know, and and, and just kind of like, hey, you might have to call somebody else during the day at night you're going to get that and you're on probation so you get one call 15 minutes at night to talk to your wife pretty much and if you can't get through six months of doing that how are you going to get through a 30-year career when you go on a strike team for two weeks it's it's all part of it and so my wife ended up talking to her we went out to dinner a few times she did better but it took a while for her to come along and and be on that program of hey your husband's you can't call him every time. He can't get away. You know, I remember we, you know, we'd come back from a call and he'd be on the phone right away. And I'd be like, hey, like, you got to check the engine first, you know, like this, this ain't going to work. So, yeah, it's such a fine line, right? Because you're like. It's a fine line and the wives need a support network. And if you don't have that already coming in, 
a good, you know, a solid family. Some wives have moved away. You know, LA County is a big department. And that, and that was this situation was they had lived in another state. And so he got hired with LA County and now he's coming here and she has nobody. And so it compounds the problem. There's a fire family out there. And, and when you're new, you know, hopefully it'll start in the academy and, and then it kind of builds from there. You know, when you go to a station, hopefully that station has a good firehouse foundation with the captains and then they bring in all the families. And so they have that support network. You know, my wife has always had three or four firefighters within two miles of us or a mile and a half of us that if she had really had an emergency or she would call them and just say, Hey, I'm having this issue with the water heater. What do I do? And one of them will come by and Hey, I took care of it. Perfect. And I've done the same thing for them several times. We all have, but until you get that support network and, and realize that that support network is not for everything. It's just those emergencies where, Hey, I need a guy with a tool or I need something. Then, you know, okay, uh, we can get through that. When I was brought on early on, I had good engineers that taught the whole fire service. And it's not just running emergency calls. It's taking care of families. It, it's taking care of the community. There's a whole other aspect that comes along with being a firefighter. And part of that is taking care of the guys on the other shifts, families, if they're gone for two weeks. It's interesting because I, LA is so big and LA County is huge. And you guys yeah. have this whole like web of yeah there's a whole web of where where for me being you know my husband being with cal fire for as long as he was like they're just all over the place like we live everywhere it's not like we all live in la yeah we all live all over the united states like there's people that live in idaho arizona um i know people that fly from the east coast to work for cal fire so we didn't really have that at all nothing nothing close either not even within like my husband's always worked at least an hour away from where we live and so i mean yeah i know people that he works with but i'm not going to call him up on the phone and be like can you drive three and a half hours to come and fix my plumbing like that was never an option and so like i think to myself a lot i'm like hey what would that be like if i could actually just call one of the guys up and be like hey so the water heater's leaking can you come fix it for me that would be amazing yeah yeah, I picked up guys, kids. I've we've done it all, and that's a you know it's it's a big help because you know hey if I ever need it they they'll be there. I totally hear you. Like on the, you can't be calling your guys at work every minute for every little tiny yeah. thing. Yeah. I don't even know what I would call my husband about that many times a day. Like, yeah, and I, that's, I, was I was just gonna say like, what do you? I don't even I, call him at work. <laughs> I wait no. for him to call me. Yeah, and that was a problem. It was a huge mm-hmm. problem for him. And like I said, we I introduced him to my wife. I told him, hey, you got to go out with some of your friends from the academy. Do what you got to do to get the help for her to get through this until she meets some more people or can deal with being out here a little bit more. And so that's how we got through those types of problems. But there's a lot of issues that come up like that. And um, in my when I was a captain and when I was taught, like I said, I, I was taught young, early on how to incorporate everybody into the fire station. Every holiday is open. Every event is open for the families to come down. So they they get to know the wives and the wives get to know each other. And then so they get to meet their wives and that support network is there. And that's that's a big deal. And that's one of the things that I, I always portrayed as a captain. The other captains I worked with, it, it's a whole station we all did. Other big things we did, like uh, we did a Christmas party every year. Uh, we did a beach day every year. We did a Vegas trip every year. You know, a couple times a year, once every three months, we had an event where all the families would come 
and was off duty and everybody could relax and have fun with their families there. And I did those for my whole career, you know, at different stations. But at my last at 41s, you know, we were very consistent about it. And so we had annual trips every year. All the families came. You knew all the kids. You got to see them every year, at least once or twice a year. You had an adult trip to Vegas where everybody got to go and have fun. So it's not just, you know, being in that confined in that station. But those events are what make a firehouse, not a fire station. Yeah, absolutely. Like I don't, I cannot, just in the last couple of months, I think we've been being told by fire departments or at least spouses of firefighters that the stations don't allow them to come. That's ridiculous. And like the captains don't want them there. Isn't that crazy? We actually, we literally had a fire department ask us how to get families more involved. And I'm like, have a family day. Have a day. Like, yeah, just Sunday. And that was like mind blowing to them. Yes, oh. that's exactly what we said. Have a family Sunday. And they were like, yeah. what is this? What are you talking about? Yeah. You Completely know? mind blowing. Yeah. And, and I mean, just like just today, we had a bunch of people in our comments on one of our posts that are saying that they're not allowed to go to the station. They don't have any holidays. They're not. It's like, yeah. that's not right. That's not good for anybody. No, no, it's not. Uh, and that. They they need to come up with some better policies. And yeah. I understand, like, I know COVID kind of threw firehouses for a, a, a loop. Like, yeah, that was difficult. So I understand, like, in the age of post-COVID, there might be a little bit more reluctance to do a lot of group stuff. Yeah, but that's that's kind of over now. There was a pandemic in 1918, and it lasted a couple of years. And COVID was the same thing. And now get back to the way it was before yeah. a little bit. And But uh, not allowing those things, you know, they're going to have an incident one day and they're going to need those families. They're going to wish they knew the knew those families. And it's going to be a lot worse because mm-hmm. they didn't have those days. And there's going to be a lot more animosity because they didn't have those type of days. I had one of my firemen when I was a newer captain at 41. He burned his hands on hose that we shouldn't have had that we had complained about already, but he, he got his hands burned. And so... He had to go get grafts, and uh, in that waiting room, when he had his first grafts, was me, his wife, his kid, and his dad, who was a fi- another a fire captain at another department. So if I didn't know that wife, and I didn't know those kids, and I hadn't met that dad already, that would have been a very awkward situation. And I felt responsible to be there because I was the captain. I was right behind him when he got burned. So, hey, that's my responsibility. If I wouldn't have known those people through those days that they came and visited at the station and my open doors policy at the station, that would have been a very rough day. I was able to go be there with them and be just like a family member. And that's the difference because I had already met them. Yeah, it's really tough when you're sitting in a group of people and you're all experiencing the same kind of loss or trauma or grief but you know nothing about each other. Yeah, it's not a place where you want to be. You want to come in and if something like that happens, I've had, I had a captain had a heart attack on duty and his wife came in and hugged us all because we knew her. It's, it may not be a fire related incident. It may be just a normal medical emergency. Mm-hmm. They got lots, we get lots of those. And yeah, you want to know that family. You want to be able to call that wife if you have to. I mean, and, can you imagine being the chief of a firehouse and something did happen on a fire or an incident to one of your crew and having to make a notification to their wife and you didn't even know who they were. Yeah, that is not right. I can't even, I, I literally would not open my door for them if that were me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Why are you here? Yeah. Like, why are you on my property? 
go away. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to someone you know, oh, come on in. Yeah. Yeah. In our, in our department, I literally have a designated person. Like if something were to happen to my husband, I know exactly who would come to my door because I have already asked him to, because I don't want anybody else coming to my door because I, there's only a few people that I trust, right? Within the ginormous fire department that Cal Fire was, I had a designated person that I told yep. my husband, these are the only three people I will ever allow in my door for mm-hmm. that circumstance. Yeah. It's funny and kind of ironic that we, we actually posted about this today. So this is good that we're talking about this because apparently it's coming up a lot more than we ever thought no, it would. They need to open their doors. The fire service is a family. You know, no, no matter what department, where you work for, it's a family and you need to treat it as such. 100%. Thank you for saying that exactly that way. You know, my husband's had a very long career as a firefighter and he's always said that if he ever was a chief or a captain of a station, that that's exactly what he would want. Open doors. Yeah. Families there all the time doing all the things yeah. and inviting people into our home as well, you know, because that's how he was treated when he was a young firefighter. Yeah. And we really do need to get back to that. No, they, they definitely, you know, if places are getting away from that, then that's not right. It's a recipe for disaster. It's not, it's not a good place to be. Because no. there's going to be a time where you're going to need those families and you're going to want their support. And, and and that time comes more often than not. The firefighter that got burned is not the first guy that I've been at a hospital with one of my firefighters for. So you want to be able to walk in there and be comfortable. And look, you you live with these guys. They We are family. My wife understood that that I have another family for a third of my life. And towards the end, we were getting recalled so much or mandatory, whatever you want to call it so much that I was with them. I was working 20 days a week and it literally broke me. That's why I, I it forced me to retire. It, my knees, I was working 20 days a week for six months and finally my knees just gave out. I couldn't climb. I couldn't get in the rig no more. It was like an old dog that couldn't get up. And luckily at that point, my wife, we've been married for 25 years. She understood it, but these young guys, it's killing them. I couldn't imagine if my kids, if I was still coaching sports with my, both my daughters and working 20 days a week, there's no way. I mean, I was 20 years younger and I was working overtime, but I wasn't mandatory and I'd lay out my schedule for three months and, you know, getting recalled in there wasn't, wasn't part of it. Like, you know, the amount that they made us work or they're making these, making us work because of management shortfalls, you know, they didn't. They didn't keep up with hiring. Yeah. It, it just, it killed us. It, it, there was a whole handful of guys like me that I went a year early. It, it you know, cost me financially, but my knees gave out. What about, and I couldn't make, I, I'm done. I can't make it back. Like, yeah. And that, I think that's, that's pretty typical. Like I, you know, my husband just made a career transition for the very same reason. He was stuck on duty for 45 days straight. Exactly. And he was just like, you know, I've been doing this too long and this is too much and I need to change. Like I can't continue can't down stay- this road. No, you know? and, and it took me, and I knew I was going to break. Hey, and it, like I said, it just it got to the point where I didn't have that. It, I had that snap where it's just like that's it. You can't get on the rig no more. Mm-hmm. It, it's over. And um, or you can't even if you're not on a rig, you can't perform your job. No, the capacity that they're asking you to perform them. No, and and I ha- I actually had a fire that I went off on my last fire. And I couldn't climb the stairs. And that was the reason I said I didn't have my breathing apparatus on and I couldn't climb the stairs. And we had a fire. Time I get up there, they, my two firefighters are ready to go. And I'm like, oh, God, we actually got a fire up here. Great. And that was it. But the reason that happened was because of all the overtimes and the recalls. 
Mm-hmm. If I could have got some breaks in between there, got some therapy and a little bit of rehab, you know, but they're, they just, no, nope. I understand why your husband did that. For me, I had no place to go. You know, I, he wouldn't have had any place to go either, but the stars aligned for us. Um, it was just, just happened. It was not planned at all. And a position opened up that he was like, you know what? I'm just going to apply for it and go for it. Just going to go Good for it. Him. And if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, I'm still in the same boat I was in yesterday, you know? So, and then we'll figure it out from there. But yeah, uh, I, I hear you on not having anywhere else to go. Yeah. And, 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 and those recall, you know, those, those recalls, you can't get away from them. No, nope. there's no way out. No. And the Mandos, I mean, just either losing staff or not hiring staff or whatever the issue is in the staffing shortage throughout the country in firefighting. I yeah. feel, you know, when you're looking at a calendar and you're like, okay, I was just on duty for 45 days. I got a day off and now I've got another 45 days coming. Like that's just not sustainable. No. It's just not. And that's happening to way too many of our firefighters in California. I'm sure yeah. LA County included. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a whole big issue. The thing that sucks is they were warned about it. They knew about it and then it happened. Hmm? And it's like, come on, you need to do better. And now we're paying the price and our families are paying the price. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I want to go back a little ways. We talked about your wife. You were in Academy before you met her. What happened when you added kids? Oh boy. When you add kids, and as you go through your career, when you're young and you're single and you, you still have a lot of energy. So now you're, you're working more. I was a paramedic when I had kids. So you're working more. You're up more because you're busier being a paramedic. And now you throw kids on, on top of the mix when you come home. And, you know, my wife, when we had, we had two kids in diapers. And so she's beat from being gone. I worked an overtime. So I've been gone for three days. I'm beat when I come home. I want to take a nap. I want to relax. And she's like this with the kids. There's got to be a, a balance where, okay, I was gone for three days. I'm going to come home. I'm going to take the kids for two hours. And then you got to give me a couple hours to get a break. Cause I know she's been doing her thing. So I would just come home and take the kids and just say, go. And that was it. Like go to the gym, go do what you want to do, go relax, go whatever. So I would take the kids. I would just tough it out through the morning. And then at noon, lunchtime, she would take them back. And then I would get my nap or do whatever I got to do. But we always had some type of arrangement and, and communication in there. And, and you know what? A lot of it I learned from the other firemen. Like, hey, you know what? You've been gone for three days. She's got, she has the kids at home. And I'm like, huh, what? Oh, okay. And then I see it. You know, because as a guy, you don't realize, you, I don't, you don't realize those things. I wouldn't even think about it. Like, I'm going to go home and take my three-hour nap. And so I learned, you know, from the other guys, uh, one of my old captains told me, hey, stop and get her either flowers or a coffee. So every shift home, when I got off, I would get her her coffee in the morning, and I would come home with their coffee. Um, and then, then there would be days where I would come home with their stuff, and she'd be like, hey, just go do your thing. Go take a nap. Go do what you got to do. And I'll be on with the kids. And then you can have them this afternoon. Perfect. So however we worked it out, but there was always a communication that, hey, she needs some time and I need some time. You know, in the beginning, she had a hard time with the station not being work. Like, hey, you're gone having fun all day. And then you come home and, you know, I'm working the whole time. Well, wait a minute. I know when you come to the station, it looks like we're always having fun, but we work a lot and we get up at night. So I didn't get eight hours of sleep last night. So there was an animosity she kind of held for a long time 
of, hey, like, hey, you get to go have fun and then I'm with the kids and then you come home and then you want to rest or you want to go do something. So that was a little bit of a, a balance. And I think as the years went on and she realized how much we do work and how, how tired we are when we come home sometimes. And plus I had two girls, so they went off and do their girls things all day. Um, I, I say when I come back, I want to I want to be a fireman's daughter. I, I love what you said, Scott, and it, it makes so much sense. And I think spouses get that notion that the firefighter goes to work and has all this fun and they get to do all these things. And it's even for the slow stations, we have to remember as the spouses, yeah, they get their hour of PT and yeah, they, you know, they're watching a movie at night. They're literally always ready to go. Yeah. At any time. So you're talking 48 hours of anticipation of constantly being ready to go on a call. I don't think people understand the mental load that takes to operate like that. And no. when you're stuck on a, you know, potential 95,000 hour shift and you're constantly in that be ready mode, it is exhausting for the firefighter. And a lot of spouses and people, I think civilians mostly, have that idea like oh firefighters have it so easy it's like you don't really understand it until you see it and then they come home and they're exhausted it's not yeah. how many calls you've run and necessarily right it's well and it, so that doesn't even, like the, the calls that doesn't even account for like everything the maintenance that has to yeah in the fire station mm-hmm. i mean hello yeah. guys we're talking about you're exhausted because you cleaned your house for three days and took care of your kids but these guys are doing the same thing and they have to be up all night. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. they have to go to traumatic calls. And they might have other things going on. So yeah. if you look at it that way. Yeah. It's never, it shouldn't ever be a competition of who no. has no, it. Worked. It's got to no. be a balance. And you got to, mm-hmm. the, the key to that, like the key to what made us get that, to make that work was it's a balance. And to your point, like when you said about the mental status of how you are all day, I describe it even at slower stations. You're like a cat. I am like a cat with my nails out in a room full of dogs all day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that tone goes off every time that tone goes off. Every fireman gets that you're going to work. That's it. That bell goes off in your head. And that mental status of like being like a cat for three days, four days, 45 days. And it, it's mentally very tiring. And as my career went on, I always say as a, as a firefighter and a paramedic, it didn't bother me as much because you're in there doing it. But then as you move into engineer and caption and more supervisory roles, it's more of a mental status, a mental thing that makes you tired. If you're driving that fire engine code all the time, that mentally takes a toll on you because you're running red lights. You don't know what the other driver is going to do. And same thing as a captain. Now you're, you're worried about all your guys. So there's always that mental status, especially at the end when as a captain, you've seen a lot now and you know a lot more now and you know what can happen. You know, you understand more in every year that mental capacity, it goes from being a physical to a mental. And that's how it was for me. And uh, spouses need to realize that, that it's not just a mental thing. And let me say this one thing I would do, I would never go straight home for the last 15 years of my career. I never went home. Very rare, unless we had something going on, I would either go straight from the station to the gym or to the beach. I surf in the summertime when the water's warm. So it was either straight to the beach or straight to the gym. To get that stuff out of my head, it was a mental thing. And luckily, my wife understood that. And I would tell her, like, 
I'm going straight to the gym tomorrow. Or I text her in the morning on my way to the gym, like she knew. Okay. Same thing with the beach. Um, I'm going to hit the beach in the morning. I'm going to go surf. So, and then those things are big. And, and for spouses, if you want to make a marriage uh, work in the fire service, you got to recognize those physical and mental changes and adapt to them. Absolutely. Audra and I talk about that all the time on this podcast. Good. <laughs> like yes. constantly saying the same thing over and over and over again. And there's a reason why we keep on beating the dead horse, right? Like yeah. these things yeah. actually matter. Yes, they matter hugely. And I've always had a, a date night with my wife. And sometimes that was pushed more by her. Uh, okay, we go on, on date nights, uh, especially when I was working. Not so much now that I'm home all the time. We every still go out. Date night. Yeah, every night's a date night. But yeah, you got to be able to recognize and adapt and come to agreements. And, and the same with the kids. When the kids are going through those different stages, you got to adapt and go through the different stages. And communication's huge. You know, being part of the family, being, you know, understanding it all is what has made it not only last, but been good. Love that. I, ah. love, I love that. And I love mm-hmm. that there were so many people along your path that gave you sage marriage advice. I feel that's rare. Yeah. And and I would do the same thing to my guys because I, I didn't think about those things. But you, you have a guy that's 20 years older than you've been married for 25 years and says, hey, you see that divorce guy over there? You want to be like him or you want to be like me and my wife flying all over? 100%. (laughs) Yes. Preach, preach. And I, and I, I passed that same, same stuff on like, okay, I learned, you know, and and it wasn't just one guy. It was a few guys, you know, and I, and I would always, always pass things on, you know, guys would come, you know, the more in this, that, and I would tell them, Hey, you got to look at it from her perspective and, this is what you need to do. You want to last? And I tell him the same thing. I'll be like that guy or you want to be the happy guy. My husband tells a story all the time about how he was stuck on a fire for like 20 days straight. And uh, he they finally got back to their station after like their two weeks out. And he's like, God, my wife's been home with the kids by herself. I should send her some flowers. So he calls up 1-800-Flowers and he sends off two dozen roses and I get them and I send him a big happy text about thank you so much. That was so beautiful. And he's got these rookie firefighters that have probably only been fighting fire for like less than a year. And they're like, what are you doing, man? Like, I'm sending my wife flowers. You should send your girlfriend or your wife some flowers too. And so yeah. I kid you not, his entire crew sent flowers, but they wouldn't have thought about it themselves. If- oh, no. If he hadn't have done it and said, you should do this too, you know? Yeah. So, guys don't really start to realize those things until you get older. Yeah. That, well, like how yeah. important some of these things, you know, might be. And, the little uh, things. The little the things. Little things that make mm-hmm. the difference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. And, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's, uh, yeah, that definitely, it definitely, that stuff matters. And um, I bought a lot of flowers in my time. You know, one of the other things I used to do was if I worked in overtime, when, especially when the, the kids were older, you know, as growing up, is if I worked in overtime, hey, go, you guys go to dinner. I think the Cheesecake Factory is their normal eating place. <laughs> like, God dang it. So Also, bring me home some cheesecake. The, my guys used to laugh because I, you know, when I'd, I'd work in overtime, I'd do an overtime and I'd talk to my wife and I'd be like, I'd be like guess where she ate at? You know, cheesecake? Yep. And it's those little things. Yeah, for sure. It's the little things. And that goes both ways, right? On the flip hand, I, I get to do things that I want to do sometimes with my friends. Like, hey, it's a bargain. 
yeah. Yes. I still send the baked goods to work 15 years later. Oh, least, my wife did it for 30 years. She's same thing. Cupcakes once a month. Wow. I don't, I don't think we've ever had a firefighter or anyone come on the show and say stuff like that. That's I, I love that. All of that. So I want to talk about LA fire rescue. What was it like being part of the show? So they brought us into the filming part of it a little bit late. So they filmed with us for three and about three and a half months. And um, it was, it was interesting to have cameras following you around and be Mike. I had to, you know, really be on my A game or P's and Q's uh, when they were there. I had some slip ups, but they, they assured they will edit those out. <laughs> but um, it was, it was good. The quality of the people that we had riding with us. And, and filming us was very high. I was very impressed with the studios and how they came in, how they acted, and how professional they were. So that made it very, very easy because it was almost like working in a two-engine or engine truck house where I had my crew and they had their crew. And even though they had a different job, they were very professional and were very skillful at what they did. And so that that made me comfortable. Most of them had worked on a show called Night Watch or on Cops. And yeah. so they had an understanding of, you know, how to act, not when to film and when not to film, when to do all that stuff. So once we got kind of, I got kind of comfortable with that. My next, I had a big issue with Schooler because I invited the cameras in and it was on me to do that, but it wasn't on my crews. And when I initially invited them in, I didn't know what it was. I had been off when they had asked people to do this and people had applied to do it. I didn't know anything about that because I was off. What I saw was the 16s of one of my squads that comes in with me coming in with this camera crew. I said, hey, who are you people? You know, oh, we're doing a documentary, they told me. I said, hey, why aren't you riding with us? We're the busiest engine. We get all the doctor ride-alongs, like the uh, all the doctors ride-alongs from UCLA Harbor, which was Rampart in the show Emergency. They come ride with us. We get them about twice a month, and they ride for a 10-hour shift as they're going through their interns. So I was like, we get all the doctor ride-alongs. We get all the ride-alongs because we're so busy. You know, every chief sends their kid with us, whatever. I said, so why aren't we getting you guys? And they're like, well, the captain has to invite us. So I said, well, come on down. I'll show you what it's like. And then they, she said, oh, I will. Uh, we'll come down. We'll come check it out. So they sent a girl down to the producer girl to come check it out. Well, as soon as she walked in the door, we had a quadruple shooting. And she went on that call with us because I said, hey, we may not come back for a couple hours. You might want to come tell us what you got to say. I, I just thought they were doing a couple hour ride alongs for a document. I didn't know. Well, she said, yes, we want to film here. I said, okay, come on down. She said, okay, we'll be here on Monday. And I said, okay. And they showed up with three band loads and a whole crew of cameras and people. And I was like, oh my God, what did I get myself into? Then they started telling me, oh, Dick Wolf's doing this. This is going to be on NBC. And I was like, oh my God. Okay, everybody, come here. Come on, sit down. Oh, wow. And we got to have a talk. And there was no asking my crew. And then a lot of the guys that had asked her, the crews didn't want to do it, I found out later. You know, I, I didn't have a problem with it. I was a huge emergency fan. NBC was doing it. It just made me want to do it more. So I was all in. But my crew didn't have to be all in. And Schooler was a boot. And she so she was at her second spot. She had no fire experience. Her first spot, they put her at the slowest station. She went from the slowest station in the county to the busiest. Oh, wow. And so I was worried about her. And But she said, no, I'll be fine. 
I could do it. She was a strong girl. She played volleyball at a college level. And so she was okay with it. And they latched on to me and her. And and they got that whole story, which was all real. And so that was my biggest concern was her getting something bad, you know, out of it for her. But she did so good on camera. I was so proud of her. Uh, my engineer, I worked with Donnie 11 years. He he didn't really want to talk. So he didn't talk at all in it. <laughs> and uh, but it was it was good. I'm glad I did it. So people got to see what we do. Yeah. And that was a more realistic picture of what we do than anything probably else I've pretty much seen out there. I've only watched like little bits and pieces of it, but from what I can tell, it's more real life than anything else I've ever seen either. My husband got followed around by Netflix for a little while and they were part of that Cal Fire Netflix. The apartment fire that's in that series was my husband's that they followed. That was his crew. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I feel like even that show was a little scripted. They never, and nothing was ever scripted. Um, they asked me to repeat things or redo things. And I said, that's fine. I, I did that. And usually it was because I had, I had let out a word I probably shouldn't have let out. <laughs> right. And that only happened a couple of times. But other than that, it was pretty real. They cut a lot of the things down. The girl with the knife, I talked to girls. She had a knife. And um, uh, Sharice had been there about two hours, hour and a half with her, and she wasn't budging. So I went in and I talked to her. I talked to her for about 20 minutes, but they they show it, but they didn't get any of They really didn't show that much of the conversation. They cut it down to like 30 seconds, two minutes, where that was a, that was a 25 minute conversation with me, with her to finally get dropped the knife. There was one incident in there that really bothered me. I had a hard time with, and it's things that you come across as a firefighter every once in a while. And especially in a busy lower income area where I work, it was right behind the station and, and it was a, an assault call. And uh, the guy was beating up the, the woman with two kids in the apartment. And uh, we ended up popping the door because they were still case doors. So we got us and the sheriffs got there at the same time. And uh, the people came out and told us, hey, he's up there beating the shit out of her right now. He's done it before. They got two little babies in there. So we went up with the sheriffs and we ended up popping the door because it was a still case door. I go, you can't kick those doors in. So we went up. And I popped the door for the sheriffs to go in. And that still bothers me because me putting my firefighters in harm's way. And after they showed a clip of me talking on the engine, and I could tell by my face, you know, I wasn't happy. We did a good job. We popped the door. Nobody got hurt. And uh, But doing things like that, it takes a mental toll. That's that's the mental toll. And they, they caught it. Like, and, and it was funny because when we were going up the elevator, the camera guys were staying down and I said, Hey, you guys going to come? They crammed it in the elevator. And then we went up and we popped that door to me. You know, that was the most dangerous call I was on during the whole episode. The fire was good, but you know, doing stuff like that, it's a, it's a mental toll. Absolutely. It is. And, and those are the kinds of things you got to think about. I've been in a lot of situations more than I'd like to be in, in a lower income area with a high density. So those situations come up more often than they should. And you're there, you're it. That's it. Yeah. I was lucky on that one that I had the sheriffs there. You know, people expect you to do things and taking an oath, you want to live up to that. oath. But they caught that call. And to me, that one was the, my, my toughest call on the whole show. Well, we're really happy that you guys decided to let the camera crews follow you around because we got an awesome show out of it. Good. And also we get to see a little bit more reality than Chicago Fire. So. Yes. <laughs> Just a touch. Just a smidge. Oh. Yeah. It's funny because I still watch Emergency and it's on 
to me, but I don't watch any of the other shows. I did start watching the Chicago Fire when the when the shows were coming out because I kind of wanted to be up on things. But yeah, sometimes it can be difficult to watch. Yeah, they can be a little a little corny. So thank you for letting them follow you around because now we have a reality TV show about firefighting that actually is reality. So before we dive into the hot seat, Scott, let's get some advice for our firefighter spouses and partners. I know you've okay. given us a whole lot of advice already. Is there any wisdom that you'd like to impart that you think will really resonate with our listeners? It's it's a balance, a balance and communication, and it's a give and take. And um, that is probably one of the most important things you can do, especially when there's times when your spouse is gone for days at a time. So just enjoy those times that you do have together, make the best of them, and really balance each other out instead of being made at each other is the best advice I think I could give. Scott, we like to wrap our episodes up with a segment we call the hot seat. So we're going to ask you a few rapid fire questions to get to know you better. Are you ready? Okay. Easy peasy. Okay. Tell okay. us your, your best Halloween costume ever. Oh God. Um, a witch. <laughs> you were a witch? A witch. Oh. Uh, in high school, I won a costume contest. I was a witch. Oh, okay. Okay. That's fun. This is one for the Swifties. If you could choose one Kelsey brother to me, which would it be? Jason oh, or Travis? Travis. Yes. Oh, Travis. <laughs> okay. Um, does pineapple belong on pizza? Yes. Okay. Uh, uh, Hawaiian pizza is my favorite pizza. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> so, and you're kind of biased. I'm biased. We could be besties then because I like Travis and pineapple on pizza. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, what's your favorite way to unwind after a busy day? Oh, I like to go surf. Okay, I love that. I think Chelsea can concur. Well, not Chelsea's not doing it, but. <laughs> I don't care what my kids yeah. do. And I do know that it is the best thing for your mental health that you could possibly ever do. Two books that you'd recommend to our listeners. Oh, God, I'm not a reader. Okay, how about podcasts or movie or TV series? Oh. Not okay. LA Fire Rescue, though. <laughs> <laughs> Oh or God! Emergency. Or emergency? Yeah, <laughs> right. I'd, be like, I'd be like emergency and uh, no, your podcast and RJ, we love you and RJ Bell's and RJ Bell picks football teams. Oh, uh, in Vegas. Okay, picks football teams in Vegas. Okay, okay. Yes. okay. He's the he's one of the best known gamblers or or odds makers in Vegas, and he has a podcast. Oh. So whenever before we all go to Vegas for the families, I always listen to RJ Bell to know who to bet on. Do you listen to New Heights? Last question. Give it to me. If our listeners want to reach out to you, how can they find you? Uh, Instagram at scottwoods 41s Okay. Thanks, Scott. This has been so much fun. You guys. Uh, thank you so much for all of that wonderful wisdom that you gave us today. For our listeners, if you enjoyed the show today and you'd like to keep hearing from awesome guests like Scott, please consider leaving a rating and or review on your favorite listening app. These reviews go a long way in getting the podcast seen and heard by other first responders and their partners. Thanks so much for tuning in. Find us on social media at Dear Chiefs Podcast and online at DearChiefs.com. Tune in weekly for the 25,000-foot view of loving a first responder. Audra and Chelsea, over and out. (laughs) 